0: We're in the midst of a climate emergency.
1: That's Bobby Arbus, a direct action organizer for the Ferry Creek Blockade, a protest against old growth logging.
0: Right. And so we have a provincial government that has a climate action plan that doesn't address what is happening to right. the forest. Yes. We have a forest policy that doesn't acknowledge the climate emergency.
1: On April 1st, the BC Supreme Court issued a police enforceable injunction against the encampments.
0: Somehow we have to start connecting the dots.
1: On this episode, I'll be talking to Martlet writer, Michael John Lowe, who went up there this weekend to take in the camp and to meet some of the protesters. Hey, I'm Laura Smith, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Martlet Pod a podcast that covers the most important news stories from the latest issue of UVic's student-run newspaper. The Martlet Pod is produced in the studios of CFUV, here on the traditional territory of the and Wusaynish people in Victoria, BC. We're also chatting about today. A group of UVic Environmental Studies students are hoping to increase food security by transforming the green space on top of the David Turpin building to a garden
2: even just like going to school that where there are people that are wanting to bring this back. And there's lots of professors as well that are really interested in it.
1: The UVic Board of Governors just approved the budget for the next three years. This includes a tuition increase of 2% for domestic students and 3.75% for international students. And after months of searching, the Vancouver Island Drug Checking Project finally has its new home.
3: The the stigmatization and the criminalization of drugs and people who use drugs is also linked to the deaths in our province at this crisis level.
1: So yeah, thank you for joining me today. Um, You've been on the show once, but that was a couple of episodes now. So maybe just to start off, uh, would you be able to give just a quick introduction to yourself and what your role at The Martlet is?
3: Yeah, so I'm Michael John Lowe, a senior staff writer at The Martlet. Um, I write, and I occasionally send way too many pitch stories to Kate, (laughs) and she asks me to put them in separate emails, so I've started to... um, you know, I just pick up stories and I write about them.
1: So the Ferry Creek blockades, you went up there this last weekend. So that's uh, Easter weekend, I guess, if people are listening in the future. Um, so maybe just to start off, would you be able to give a bit of background on what this blockade even is, how long they've been around, etc.?
3: Yeah, so it all began on August 10th of last year. Um, morning 4.30 a.m. blockade. Um, you know, like there's a strong strain of forest protection activism that has existed on Vancouver Island um, stemming back from the 1990s, you know, the famous War of the Woods. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some commentators, um, and like from what I've seen, it really is a continuation and, you know, some may argue even an escalation of what's been happening since, I guess, BC. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vancouver Island has been part of, um, under British rule.
1: Yeah. So this one specifically, um, Ferry Creek, that's near Port Renfrew, right? Yes.
3: Yeah. So you usually just take logging roads, get lost once or twice, <laughs> and then eventually find your way um, up. So just to clarify, uh, when we say the Ferry Creek blockade, we're not talking about one blockade. We're talking about nine of them right. spread out you know, almost 40 minutes apart and, and some of that or most of that is on the Patchadat First Nation Territory and other is like on the Didadat Nation Territory so you know it's quite a trek um, logging isn't you know they don't just log mm-hmm. here in a nice little spot um, old growth logging happens everywhere there still is old growth so um, over the course of 8 months like I said on August 10th um, it started Um, It kept going through the winter, and now we are at the point where the B.C. Supreme Court has granted an injunction to the Teal Jones Group, and um, from what I'm assuming, you know, since those there don't seem to be backing down, um, the situation will escalate in the near future.
1: Right, because, yeah, the camp this morning got served with that injunction, right? Right. So right. when I
3: originally wrote this, when I was still up there, they were like, oh, we're waiting for it every day now, but we still haven't mm. gotten it. So actually, <laughs> on um, Easter Sunday, on uh, pr- forgive me, I do not know how to pronounce this word, the Kaikus, um, around the Kaikus area, there was actually a new blockade that was started because... Oh, Um, contractors were, you know, starting up on a new logging road. And that's why there's nine of them now. So, um, yeah, they're not stopping. Injunction Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be stopping um, those on the front lines. And I'm assuming, you know, even though they have that today, they'll just keep going.
1: Yeah. And just to roll back for anyone listening that, like, might not, know exactly what we're talking about by injunction, like what does that refer to? What does now the Teal Jones group like get or can do with this injunction?
3: So here the Teal Jones group is saying there is irreparable harm to their, not to the forest obviously, mm-hmm. but to their logging operations. Right. So irre- irreparable economic harm. So what an injunction does is just it explicitly makes clear that anyone attempting to stop logging operations can and will be arrested, um, and they've also been granted police support, or at least this injunction is police enforceable. If that mm, makes sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, yeah, you were up there this weekend. Um. So it'd be great to just talk a little bit about what you experienced when you up and up there. What was, when you came into the camp, like, what was even like just, like, driving up there and entering into it?
3: So, my background is I'm a city boy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If you pointed a tree at me, I wouldn't be able to tell you, like, <laughs> if it was even, what, are deciduous, Carnivorous? No, it's probably not carnivorous, right? But, like, yeah, this, is, yeah. this shows off how little I know about trees and the environment, right? This is my first really specific environmental journalistic piece Mm -hmm. um so i really came up there and and this was a very last minute um assignment basically um this is a kind of a peek behind the curtain of what the martlet does (laughs) every two weeks but we were scrambling around in the group chat going like oh no we have an empty space in the newspaper someone needs to fill it and um just so i had a ride going up to fairy creek and I have a camera and I'm a journalist, so might as well. You know, I knew that something had been Mm. going on. I had been keeping half an eye on it. Um, So I decided, well, might as well go and see what really happens. And for something like this, right, like you go up there, um, a lot of what you, a lot of what happens there, you can't see immediately. Mm -hmm. It's a place without cell phone coverage. Um, Yeah, the place itself is not necessarily fully accessible Mm -hmm. you basically need a car um preferably one that has you know all-wheel drive because the roads are logging roads Mm -hmm. and it does get a little treacherous at some places um you need camping equipment if you're deciding to go there for long term um you know you also have to have the time and energy Mm -hmm. set aside you know not everyone can take a couple days off work or school to go up so um, it's an interesting spot. It's, it's an interesting spot. There's, there's a lot of people up there. Um, I remember going up, you know, going up, um, Ferry Creek headquarters and then, you know, driving up the couple kilometers up to river camp and like along that road, you know, cars and tents pitched everywhere, mm. camper vans, et cetera. Um, and then coming down, it seemed that there were more people, you know, f- um, flooding in, and more places, more cars, more people, and and that was just two camps out of the nine. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about something that's pretty big, and it felt it felt to me like even while we were trying to find the places, you would see you know all these like hippy looking people and like vans, and you you just kind of wonder, hmm, are they here to camp out, are mm-hmm. they here like to support the blockades, so it's it's quite an interesting um, dynamic up there. You know, it's very close to Port Renfrew, so. It doesn't feel like you are truly out in the wilderness, but at the same time, you stray a little too far, and cell phone signal gets cut, and you're resorted to, you know, reading the physical newspaper for news. There's something, something <laughs> yeah. crazy like that. By the way, we do print a physical paper at the Martlet, so um, we're <laughs> probably going to throw one or two stacks of them up the mountain. But um, awesome. yeah,
1: yeah. So it's a pretty diverse group up there, like. For the people that you talked to, were most of them ones who were just like up there for the weekend or are there people that have been there since like August?
3: Yeah, it's it, it was a very diverse group. So we had these old grizzled veterans, <laughs> um, you know, from Clay Sound. Um, we had these little kids who were playing with Legos, and um, you know I heard reports of like families going up with their newborn kids and camping out oh, for wow. weeks on end. You know, there's people that have been there through the winter. Um, there's people who live nearby and are ready to go up at you know at very short notice, just in case there aren't enough people um, at the places. And you know, um, yeah, you get quite a quite a diverse group of people. But what I will say is lacking is um, First Nations support. Mm -hmm. I believe that, and this is a topic that I'll touch on very carefully, and I believe it's explained more in detail in my article and also in the fantastic reporting done by the Taiyi and the Narwhal. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of controversy around the very clique blockade um, it is it started as a settler initiated movement and it remains a mostly settler led and organized movement what, what's happening in terms of settler indigenous relations in the area mm-hmm. has been very delicate on um, Pachita Nation a lot of them rely on the logging industry they have you know the tribal council has infrastructure that is designed for old growth Logging, mm-hmm. so you know you see like this huge conflict there, right? And it's not my place to really dig in and yeah. say. I'm, like I said, this is a very complex story, and I was, you know, read if you want to know more. Obviously, read our coverage, but I would also suggest reading the Nargol and the Taiyi piece. Mm-hmm. They really dig a little deeper on. What has happened and what is happening, um, but yeah, um, but it is—it was an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I, I went up expecting, and and my last um, my last experience of. This sort of, you know, protracted civil disobedience movement being the in Solidarity action that happened in the Victoria Parliament, you know, that was a bit more diverse and had a, you know, a cast of colorful characters. But here, it seemed like it was a lot of, like, you know, um, locals mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people who, like, were drawn to it by the romanticism and the... I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like when you do see an old growth forest, you feel a sense of awe. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's a sense of stillness. It's a sense of that majestic peace and energy emanating from something that's been there for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years, right? So you it draws in a lot of different folks, but usually it draws in people who are able to devote time or are willing to throw it all away mm-hmm. so you know one person that i interviewed really stuck out in my mind um this young woman from the sunshine coast mm-hmm. she had originally just thought of going up for four days and um, she went up and she said it changed her life right and she went back to the sunshine coast she quit her job she broke up with her boyfriend that she was living with moved out of the house wow and within 36 hours transited from the sunshine coast all the way back to river camp where you know i don't believe her name was liz um yeah where she's been <laughs> staying since and, wow and, you know so so it really changes people and yeah. it really lights a fire um in people's hearts which I found quite fascinating. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, as I said, I'm a city boy who barely, <laughs> barely knows the names of trees.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Was the, like, general mood there, like, what was that like when you were up there, especially, like, right after this injunction had gone through? Was it still, like, were people still feeling very hopeful about everything? Were people disappointed by this?
3: Yeah, I think people were definitely disappointed. If you read the injunction, it explicitly says, like, this is a government matter. You know, it just notes that yeah, according to these laws, this is what we have to do. Right. Um, you know, they use they, they use the word misguided mm-hmm. um, to refer to you know what they call protesters um, at Ferry Creek and beyond. Um, um, I will say that. Um, most people out there have a deep sense of understanding of like the logging industry being very important very critical um there's a deep desire to protect old growth and not just to stop all logging Mm -hmm. um old growth of course being especially important in climate and cultural preservation Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a there was a running sense of disappointment. But I can't remember, I went up there before the injunction. Right. It was still still a Sunday night. And, you know, people were relaxing by the fire when we were going down. You know, Um, a bit of a quiet, calm before the storm. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, you know, those who are ready, like I said, like there are people moving and starting up new blockades, starting up new camps. Believe Bobby Arbess, mm-hmm. uh, who's s- s- explicitly named in the injunction
0: by Teal Jones. And I was working in the Clear Clearcut, which is the largest cut in British Columbia. It was right. like, uh, you know, talking about like hundreds of thousands of hectares. Yeah. You know where they which, where they took down the force allegedly because of a uh, uh, beetle, beetle bugs, bug yeah. infestation, and um, I and I was planting trees. Yeah, you know, little tiny, you know, genetically monoculture tree seedlings, 10, ten feet apart, yeah, uh, in straight rows, yeah, and I and I was, this is is this what we are replacing these ancient forest ecosystems with? And it, it became very graphic and very clear um, at, a, at a young age, you know, in my early twenties, that uh, that there was an industrial experiment happening on a grand scale, yeah, to replace. Um, ecosystems that have essentially evolved undisturbed for 10,000 years mm-hmm. um with
3: tree farms he spoke very passionately about what they were doing mm. and he felt like it was just going to get even bigger i think one of the phrases he used was well not not a single old growth tree has been logged yet and people are already coming so mm his assumption is that when those I'm, I'm assuming you know there's going to be footage there's going to be this increased amount of attention and pressure then people will start flocking mm-hmm. like there it comes and then it'll get a lot messier you know yeah. and over the winter it quiets down right mm-hmm. it's cold it's snowy it still is cold and wet up there you know some some camps are high above elevations um, one camp is still snowed in okay. so there's there's a lot of variants um That's yeah great. it's it's a very fascinating kind of society that's been built and it's Mm -hmm. all it's all you know funneled together by people who are very passionate about it and can't go up so a lot of supplies go in um i saw you know a local like around the area someone made fresh pizza and Mm. shipped it up the mountain so lots of support but at the same time you know you hear reports of vandalism and you hear reports of like you know um at least in the in the injunction itself, mm-hmm. it said, you know, not every protest has been entirely peaceful, right? Yeah. It doesn't go into specifics, but it's hard to go like, you know, even in Claircot Sound, not everything was extremely peaceful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But overall, it seemed like calm before the storm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I guess going forward, they're just, from the people you talk to, the plan is, yeah, just to kind of stay there and just keep growing and keep doing what they're doing. Is that generally the sense you got there?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people are also there for the first time, mm. myself included, just to like, oh, might as well see what's going on. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think when people see an actual growth forest, their attitudes change.
1: Yeah, I would imagine it'd be very different being there and seeing the camps and seeing the forest opposed to just reading about it in a news story.
3: Yeah, yeah that's why I took lots of photos and yeah. hope that, um, you know, some of it inspires. Um, further Mm fought.
1: yeah this is definitely a story that like if you're listening to it you should definitely go look it up online or pick it up in the newspaper because your photos are so good and I think they a lot of them give a sense of that forest up there (laughs) (laughs) it's your plug it's your plug for the interview here yeah that's great um are is there anything you think we've like completely missed that you want to talk about
3: I, I would say that I was a little surprised when I went up. It was like, you know, it felt like going to a restaurant.
2: <laughs> hey,
3: here's your COVID safety, you know, contact tracing list mm. and um, please sanitize. And, uh, you know, you had your camp guidelines, you know, yeah. talks about the things that you expect would show up. Um, yeah, people are, you know, obviously people aren't considered the environment is not like... Mm-hmm. At least for now, right? Yeah. Uh, we look at things like Standing Rock, and you see, like, you know, it can get messy. Mm-hmm. But at least for now, it's seen like you know, every like every single campfire is fueled by, you know, the scraps that the logging industry has left behind, mm-hmm. right? Like the clear cut scraps from the slash piles. So it's it's all in a sense, ironically yeah. being fed by the dregs of the logging industry so that's the one point that I found very interesting mm-hmm. you
1: know? that's really interesting
3: yeah.
1: and yeah I guess like yeah what you're just saying there too is of course this all has taken place over a pandemic like did anyone you were talking to like talk about how this specific like protest or these camps were different than maybe other ones they've seen because of the pandemic or or is it more just you know like you were saying those kind of tracing measures that they put on as well
3: Yeah, I mean, people. I I I would assume because you you see them spaced out quite far. Mm -hmm. Um, There's people who are more cautious of the guidelines, and they just really are going there on their own, getting ready. And then there's people who, you know, go up there to find community, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which is also which also looks different um, in a pandemic. It's a lot more, you know. Well I guess we're all outdoors, right <laughs> Outdoor socializing yeah. and um, it's hard to say it it does feel different in a way compared to what the ledge was like mm. but again, you really cannot compare the two right these are two connected but very, very different in both in context and in intent um and in the here I'm gonna use an academic word in the praxis of what's going on, right? so, yeah, you, know, I mean, going up there right now, even with the injunction is not illegal, so mm-hmm. if you are curious if you've been you know inspired by what I've been speaking about, just go up and take a look yourself, you know write for the martlet, write a second piece. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, don't steal my job. But like, I'm saying, what I'm saying yeah, is yeah. It, it's hard to get everything out in, you know, the my article was what, a thousand words? Mm-hmm. This interview is, you know, just, just less than like 10, 20 minutes. It's hard to get everything out. Yeah. But, you know, we'll try. We'll try our best. And um, hopefully you had an enjoyable time listening to this.
1: Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for spending the time to talk. And it was great to hear your experience going up there. At UVic, students in an environmental studies course are looking to increase food security by working to convert the green roof on the David Turpin building into a garden. Currently, the space is only housing some weeds and grass.
2: So our hope is that through our report that we're creating, that we can inform everyone at UVic about the opportunities that the David Turpin green roofs provide.
1: That's Lindsay Williamson, a student working on the project.
2: Um, and we're hoping with recent, the recent change in staffing, that maybe a more open dialogue will be possible compared to like the prior attempts that have taken place to increase food security.
1: From the surveys they've sent out, most people would be interested in seeing it revived as a growing space. Their ideal goal would be that the food would be served in cafeterias on campus and supplied to the UVic Food Bank. There's also lots of hope to focus on growing native plants. However, there are some potential issues with the project. These include accessibility, visibility, and safety issues with questions like how much weight the roof can actually support and who's going to maintain it throughout the year. The group's next step is to present their findings to the Chairs of Environmental Studies and Geography, as well as Kevin Hall, UVic's president.
2: The fact that UVic has the opportunity and they are equipped with the resources to mitigate that issue within their own school community is, like, such a cool opportunity that I I think needs to be, like,
1: taken. On March 30th, the University of Victoria Board of Governors voted to approve the UVic budget for the next three years. Main points of the budget was a tuition increase, 2% for domestic students, which is the max permitted by the B.C. government, and 3.75% for international students. The board stated that these are in line with cost of inflation. The budget also increased funding for bursaries and mental health support on campus. While President Kevin Hall called the budget fair, student representatives Juliet Watts and Catherine Fairley both voted against the budget. Watts specifically mentioned the struggles of international students.
2: Despite um, the several great aspects of this budget, uh, I will unfortunately have to vote against
1: it as I can't support tuition increases during a pandemic in good faith. International students have faced unique struggles in the pandemic, including visa restrictions balanced against these increasing costs of tuitions, which now amount to about $25,000 plus medical and dental insurance. Vancouver Island Drug Checking Project has, after months of moving around, a new home at 1803 Cook Street near Royal Athletic Park. The project, a collaboration between UVic and Health Canada, offers an anonymous drug checking service and judgment-free answers. It's run by a group of UVic professors, including Bruce Wallace. The project started in 2017 and has been operating out of drug prevention sites. But with the pandemic, they had to find new space.
3: So we, it was a real challenge to continue operating through the pandemic um, because the locations we were in were forced to, to
0: close uh, for public access.
1: Wallace says that their eventual goal is to expand all across Vancouver Island.
0: I think there's real support for expanding
3: the service and there's a real frustration in how hard it is to do it within this context of criminalization. Um, the drug laws are really designed to, to prohibit
1: um, the activities that, that, that we require, that we need to do to actually engage with our production. On top of just the support they provide to the community, the project has also served as a research and volunteer opportunity for undergrad and graduate students in a variety of fields from chemistry to social work. And that's another episode. Thank you for listening. To read more on the stories I mentioned here, or to check out the rest of the issue, make sure to head over to martlet.ca or pick up a copy for free. To find a copy of the Martlet, pop by the sub here at UVic, most thrifties' locations, or maybe Munro's books. The Martlet pod is recorded in the studios of CFUV. Check them out at CFUV.ca. I'm Laura Smith.